What's good? This is Kelsey, founder and fearless leader of Dope. You are zoned in for an episode of Soberpreneur, a look at what happens when we deal with our past shit, talk openly about that shit, and go do other awesome shit. On today's episode, you'll hear from none other than my husband, Israel Martinez Moreira, or as I call him, Is. Listen in to hear about his journey immigrating to the United States from Brazil, leaving his family and friends behind in pursuit of his American dream. He's an inspiring dude, and I'm just damn proud to call him my husband. Hear it for yourself in this totally awesome episode with Iz. And we've got a quick update since recording this in October of 2019. He has since joined Dope as Chief Financial Operating Officer, crushing it for Dope on the numbers game and the ops side. He's a totally great compliment to my skill sets, and we're lucky to have him full-time now on the Dope Squad. All right, listen in. It's really me. Love it. Not that I can't fix up a little spit. That's what they always say. No one says that. Okay. Literally no one. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Soberpreneur, and today I am joined by my husband. Everybody's got an interesting story to tell, and just because we're married doesn't mean his isn't worth telling, so I'm happy to have you here today. Happy to be here. And in my life every day. She's <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to have you. So uh, can you tell the people a little bit about you, uh, what makes you tick, what your professional career has been like so far? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Israel. I am now 30 years old and married to Kelsey. Great hairs are coming in. <laughs> <laughs> coming in hot. Um, so I'm a Brazilian uh, civil engineer by formation. I used to work in the civil engineering industry for quite a long time uh, in residential and commercial buildings altogether. Um, for people like me, what does civil engineering mean? Like, are you a coder or what? Because we're in San Francisco, <laughs> so engineering is only one path. Oh, the engineers. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I did zero coding in my civil engineering career. So civil engineering means any building that's not military. So everything that is not military is huh. a civil engineer. So they have civil. separate engineers for military buildings. Oh. Yeah. This is a new fact. <laughs> Learning something new every day. And they have naval engineers for things that float on the water. Hmm. So civil engineers are usually people that take care of buildings that are non-military and they're on the ground. Cool. Basically. Amazing. Yeah. Um, coming back to that, I used to work in construction companies um, until I found out my passion for project management. Not to confuse with product management since we're in Silicon Valley. Also hip. Man, so you're not a coder and you're not a product manager. What? <laughs> you picked this. <laughs> um, anyway, I found out that um, major passion of mine just because of my brain is just super focused on like objectives and getting stuff done and project management is nothing but that. Um, and then eventually I found out that passion and started working for the Four Seasons Hotel uh, construction in Brazil for one of the construction firms that I worked at and eventually became certified project management professional. Um, but then I was faced with a very hard decision of mine. I don't know if we're going to go into that or not, but just jumping right there. Um, I was faced with the decision of like, should I continue in construction and like all the uh, hardships that go with construction in Brazil, which is a third world country still, it's developing, but... Um, yeah, still, I feel like people forget that a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or should I just go out and follow what I think is right for me? And I chose the latter. So I decided to study business management and marketing at Berkeley, 
Um, I came here in beginning 2017, uh, stayed there for a year. Then my life took a 180 degree change and I became head of operations for a startup in uh, Silicon Valley in education. So um, one of my other... How did you find them? How did you find the product school? Um, it was part of my internship program, right? So when, when I joined Berkeley, yeah, they had like a placement help. So cool. I was connected to the CEO and then we just clicked and he needed my help. So on uh, project management, not to be confused with product, would you or would you not agree that it's much like cat herding, like trying to get these people to do what you need them to do? Pretty much. Just banging yeah. your head against a wall Pretty much. every it's, day. Yeah, definitely. You love it. Um, it's, it's very interesting because project management can be applied to any industry whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, and their project it's a good transferable manager, skill. Uh huh. And the project manager should not be the expert in one subject, right? The project manager should be the person who knows exactly what the objective of the project is and how that ties into the organizational goals and how to manage the people, as you said, like cat herding, uh, manage the people that are in the project to do that. So the project manager has to know exactly the strengths and weaknesses of each individual member of the team mm -hmm. and how to take advantage of all of them towards reaching that goal. Amazing. So you get lined up with product school and what happens there? Slash, what was it like? Well, to I start working work in the co-working space and then I meet my future wife. Well, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. I wasn't trying to get a plug there, but... Yeah. Um, well, what happens next is I joined them as an intern. Uh, so the Berkeley program is to be an intern. I became a program management intern, which they call... Well, they used to call that for customer service. Um, and uh, some other functions mostly but then as soon as I joined I started using my project management um, skills and everything I had and mm -hmm. brought as um, my skill set from the past and eventually mm -hmm. I got promoted and made my way up into the organization uh, so that I became head of operations for the company so basically I built the all the processes that we had obviously I had a team behind me I didn't do anything by myself but I built everything from scratch so cool. So what was one of the kind of big presses for you to want to leave Brazil? Um, I know you wanted, said you wanted to follow your dreams, but you know, what was kind of like the vibe down there that wasn't settling with you or you know, made you want to take a shift? Yeah, this, is, this question has a lot of layers of complexity, yeah. um, but I do want to start by saying I love Brazil and Brazilian people, I think. And the food. Being yeah, not mad about the food. I mean, my family and friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't be mad. But I feel like um, Brazilian people are just so warm and welcoming, and um, they try to make sure that you feel the best that you can, and they're super great hosts. Um, but the country itself has a lot of structural problems. Um, and I can talk about many of them, but I think two of them that really made me made the shift. Uh, make, make the shift was the education problem, right? So we have a lot of underserved areas. There's a lot of people that don't have access to education. And that is one of my drivers now. When I came here, one of the things that I wanted to do is not to go back to Brazil to live there, but to go back and build a school for underserved areas in Brazil. Um, and the second one is corruption. Like corruption is structural everywhere. And you can talk about politics, yes, but you can talk about construction as well, which is where I was. Um, luckily, I haven't seen so many episodes, but I know so many people that were in um, that environment. And I mean, 
few four five years ago a lot of people got in jail mm. um, one or two of the working in similar things biggest, that you had done in uh-huh, mm. one or two of the biggest president uh, biggest companies as presidents got in jail because they got into um, public construction for the government and it was like, mm-hmm. super dirty it's I guess on a scale of people thinking like oh well there's corruption in the United States you'd say it's much more oh, rampant yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> I mean obviously yeah you can't say the U.S. is perfect right I know I know there's a lot of corruption going I mean, on here look at our president mm-hmm. sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll edit that part out but I think putting things in perspective like the United States is a first world country right you guys have a lot of access to education, transportation, security, like you can go out in the streets and you can hold your iPhone up in the air and there's a low likelihood of someone snatching your phone. Whereas if you go to Rio and you do that, you can count to one and somebody will do that. Yeah, some of those videos were crazy. (laughs) If you haven't seen this, look up like phone snatching in Brazil. Uh, Insane. Like it's people's entire days just like running up like jumping into bus windows to grab phones out of people's hands yeah. so pretty and it's stuff. super sad because the the robbers the actual robbers use children to do that because mm-hmm. they know children in brazil can't go to jail yeah persecution is different yeah pretty crazy sad but true um another big difference that i would love to unpack uh for everybody listening and watching um it's kind of this like you know, where I grew up, Sacramento, and then coming to the Bay Area, it's just been my whole life watching people who have a great idea go out and make it come true. And if you think you have something awesome or you make really great pies, like, you better go sell those pies, you know, go enjoy it, go do your thing. Um, and it's not the same everywhere else. Uh, that kind of, like, freedom to build your own destiny isn't as, you know, available. So what what was that like for you? Well, for starters, we we basically grow up listening to how the United States is, right? Like, this is something somebody who grew up in the U.S., I assume, don't have, right? Like, you grow up listening about your country and not Mm -hmm. other countries. Yeah, I I didn't even know there were other countries. I was like, the U.S. is it. Every (laughs) movie's in New York, L.A., or San Francisco, (laughs) so I'm pretty sure there's nothing past these borders. Yeah. Yeah, like a mental wall was built way before. I didn't really learn too much about other countries but it sounds like it's pretty centric for us in our uh, stance is just the yeah. other way around like we obviously we love our country but we learn about all the other countries yeah. as well just because we know that they're just better than us mostly mm. right so we're talking about first world countries sorry somebody's calling me let me just silence this he's out. really uh, really popular he's going in the blooper reel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you grow up listening about uh, first world countries, and then back in the day, there was the uh, second world countries, which were the socialist huh. uh, countries, which in the world of the uh, history people were better than the third world countries. History people. I mean, historians, what's that word? That's I mean, it? really, struggles. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> struggles. I like history people, though, you know? It really, like, brings them down to earth. I mean, nothing against, I just forgot. More approachable. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, well, back in the day, they thought the second world countries were better than the third world countries. So we used to learn about capitalist countries, first world countries, mm-hmm. which were European Western European countries in the United States and then Canada joined later. Um, and then the communist countries like Cuba and others. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so basically, we ended up growing up listening to that, and then the American Dream, and obviously mm. Hollywood. Like was, literally, that is a concept, like uh-huh. the American Dream. Yeah. Wow. And even in English, but the American Dream. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, Just for fun, what would it be in Portuguese? Oh, so American. Oh, you actually would say the American Dream. Yeah. Huh. Well, at least that's how I heard. I don't know yeah. if any other families have yeah. different cool. approaches to that. Um, but Hollywood was a, a big driver in that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we do have a cinema movie industry in right. Brazil, but right. it's obviously not as big. Yeah. And when I was growing up, it was like hit and popular to watch the American movies. Yeah. So I was flooded with the American dream and like an American culture. Go to America. America. Yeah. Like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just go and follow your dreams. And coming mm-hmm. back to your question, I know we went to a little side tangent there, but um, coming back to your question. what podcasts are all about, side tangent. <laughs> <laughs> it's where the good conversation unfolds. True. <laughs> True. Um, coming back to your question, I feel like um, having your own company in Brazil has so many hurdles to overcome that you don't have here, mm-hmm. right? So you can start with like all the bureaucracy of opening your own business. Um, here you have like LegalZoom and other competitors that do exactly oh, the same. Oh, it's like snap your fingers. Streamline yeah. the process and what in five business days you have everything set up and you're ready to generate revenue. Whereas if you're talking about Brazil, um, you have a lot of paperwork to file and most of the time you can't. It's like climbing a mountain instead of walking down the uh-huh. street. Yeah. Like you can't do that online with all of them and then you're going to have to hire accountants and attorneys and da 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 da. And then once you have everything done, especially if you're in the retail business, you have to pay off a bunch of people for them just not to bother you, right? I have a a friend of mine who used to run a cupcake company, uh, and cakes in general, but mostly cupcakes, in Rio, and she had to pay off so many people just so that she would run that business. That's Mm -hmm. it. So revenue, top line, all the business expenses, she would and have like to include that. Pay into not like get pay, broken into. Or exactly. So crazy. bottom line was yeah. super hurt for that. Yeah. Where it's not as enticing, I'm sure. You know, people in America are like looking mm-hmm. and getting a pretty penny. And if there you've got so many hurdles, it's going to set you back a little. Exactly. Yeah. So it feels to me that I grew up not very encouraged to do my own thing in Brazil. Mm-hmm. I was encouraged, however, to come here. Mm-hmm. Right, so I always had in the back of my mind, like, okay, like if I want to have my own thing, I cannot have it here. I have to go to America. And did you know that? Were you like, I got to go. I want to start my, you know, my own thing. Maybe it's a mystery bubble of what that'll look like. But you were just like, I got to do something that's mine. Mm, yes, I had, I had many moments in my life, I would say. Yeah. Right, so like right out of college, I thought like, well, I can't, like I want to want to have my own thing. I don't want to have a boss and do like build somebody else's dream, right? Mm-hmm. You're either building somebody else's dream or you're building mm-hmm. yours, which you're doing now. Um, but right out of college, I thought to myself, like, I have to do myself, like, my dream, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was. Yet, yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, maybe I need to like take a step back and go into the, the yeah. regular industry and then I'll figure it out. So then that was like on and off, and then in 20- Yeah, kind of a steps into product school. Yeah, and then in 2015, I made a shift and started saving money, and then here I am. Yeah, so neat. Um, I think, you know, being an entrepreneur now, um, it's probably always been a part of my personality that like, that was just something I was like, kind of 
built to do, whether it be nature, nurture, whatever, how I was raised, just the way my brain works was inevitably going to lead me into being an entrepreneur. But I didn't know exactly what until probably like four months before I started Dope. Um, the idea came like really last last minute for me and just took the plunge and jumped and started it. So yeah, it's not always like you have this predetermined vision of what it'll look like and what exactly it'll be, but you just know in there that like yeah. there's going to be something and it's going to be fucking great. Like you just do it. <laughs> That's and, it. That's yeah. the recipe for success. And like I feel like some people think that entrepreneurship is just like, oh, you wake up when you're like five years old and then you know I'm going to have a cupcake shop. But yeah. it's not that. Yeah. And or like this magical idea hits you overnight. Exactly. Yeah. And like we were even discussing this a little earlier today because we're married, right? Don't, don't forget. <laughs> uh, we were discussing this a little earlier in the day that like usually your first business is going to fail. Mm -hmm. Right, so you can't just be attached to that. Like, please like, let it fail. Like literally, people think like you've got exactly. To fail. <laughs> you can't be attached to that thought of like, yeah. no, my first business is what I want to do and has Forever. to work. Because mm -hmm. most likely you're gonna fail, and if you do, you have to be flexible enough to let that go and do something else. Yeah, be stoked for what you learn from the failure. Um, I think uh, I'm obviously most of my examples come from the food world with other food entrepreneurs who have gone under, but like the amount that they learned from that experience, whether they went and started another company or joined somewhere else, um, like they just have this wealth of knowledge with them now that they wouldn't have had if they'd never tried to start something on their own. So higher pay in a cooler position at another company or, you know, the right footing to go off and try, try again. Yeah. It feels to me like entrepreneurship is like relationships. Like you can <laughs> hit tell. home run in the first relationship ah. and just get married and have Sorry kids for all you high school sweethearts out there. We believe in you still. Right. I mean, that can happen. <laughs> it can happen. But most They're likely you're going to have like failed relationship after failed relationship until yeah. you learn like self-love and self-respect and how to treat each other. Yeah. And then eventually. That's from my other podcast. Love and romance <laughs> from Is and Kelts. And then eventually you're going to find the, the, yeah. the person that you're supposed to be with. And I yeah. think businesses are just alike. Yeah. Take what you can from each one and move on yeah. to the next. Uh, so how's your family feel about this? Your friends, family? You were like, <laughs> peace out, Brazil. It's been sick, but I'd like to go start my own mm. hurrah in the United States. Side note, I'm going to marry an American, and how's all, that, how's all that settling? Well, that all happened quite fast, so, yeah. like, most of the things that I heard from all of them were, like, you're fucking crazy, like, you're super crazy, like, you're diving nose first into everything you're doing, but, like, as a personal note, I think that's the way to go, like, if you're passionate about something, you need to go and, and do it, Yeah, that's what we're here Fully for. Fully commit. Now, in terms of what I heard from them... Um, well, there's always that peer pressure, right? So once you have your vision set and your goal set up, most likely not everybody around you will share that vision, right? So when you tell them, you know exactly what you're seeing and what you're willing to put on the table to accomplish that, but they don't know exactly what's like underneath that tip of the iceberg. So most likely they're going to say like, oh, but like, do you know all the risks? Like, do you know what's going on? Do you, did you evaluate the, the risks versus benefits that you're going to reap from that? So I heard a lot, um, especially from acquaintances, not close friends, but I heard a lot of like, dude, you're fucking crazy. This is never mm -hmm. going to work. You're going to come back to Brazil and you're going to be two years away from the market. Mm -hmm. You're fucked. Sorry, uh, can, I so say, can I say that kind of thing? Totally. Yeah. Okay, cool. Don't fucking curse on here again. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I... <laughs> that threw me off. <laughs> 
man. Sometimes I'm funny, she says. Very rare, but the moments moments happen. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, so the the idea of you being away from the market, like they were saying, like the Brazilian, like what's happening in the Brazilian market is. Yeah. uh, And you'll be behind catching up there. Yeah. Interesting. So especially when I left, Brazil is almost nose diving nose deep nose first what is that thanks keep trying keep okay whatever that expression you're diving <laughs> was on a nose dive like yeah thanks yeah cool. okay. okay nose dive to a crisis right so what i first heard from them was like wait you have a job you have a like a career you're plan and you're leave. choosing to yeah. leave you're fucking crazy yeah and I was it's like, like someone quitting their job in like the 07, 08 recession exactly. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Like, Man, I, yeah. I get that, but this is yeah. not my dream. I don't want to be here and become director when I'm like 40 and then mm-hmm. die here. This is not what I'm built yeah. for. This is not what I'm looking for. And I'm going after what I want. So, yeah, like that kind of pressure that pressure for people heavy. who see you in like something safe and cushy. Like, I've, I've been with Intel for 10 years, and that idea that I, I just saw exactly what my next like 30 years would look like. And it was a slow climb of a ladder that would maybe get me to like, you know, executive vice president or something cool. You'd make it a bunch of money, but like, would I ever see my family? Or like, you know, will you ever get off the wheel? And I think a lot of people have kind of this like, um, illusion to corporate America of like what it'll be like once they make it yeah and honestly I just I don't see a world in which you really like made it with all the like you know freedom and true life enjoyment as you can with entrepreneurship and what that yeah. can reward you if things go go well yeah and now I would add to that it's just it's not just corporate America Brazil is pretty much the same in that mentality of like I'm gonna work for 30 40 years and walk away with my golden watch is that what you say my golden watch from the company. Golden ticket, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that thing. Love it. That I would, present I'm not, that's given not over for people that stay there for 30 years. That's the huh. um, What yeah. do you mean? Like a pension? No, no. Usually, like the big companies in Brazil, I don't know if that happens here, but they give you like engraved pins, like with gold oh. outside. Oh, funny. Like and actual physical stuff. Actual physical stuff. Oh, funny. So then you can actually showcase and be proud of yourself that you're in a company for so long. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I think uh, America is changing a lot in that regard. I know we were talking about with Intel, their sabbaticals, how that changed over time. Like, people aren't staying with a company as long, so they're trying to give these like shorter incentives. Like, okay, now after four years, you can get a month off instead of waiting eight years and um, yeah just less and less people that are on the like oh it's my 25th Intel anniversary and yeah um, I still saw a lot of that when I was there because I was you know quite young um, and I'd see people going through they're like oh I've been here 25 years or joking like someone started in 1991 and that's like the year I was born <laughs> and they're still <laughs> at the company um, but I think it's becoming less and less it's kind of like everybody that was around my age like a lot of people have moved around so companies yeah. have to be really creative with retention at this point to get to the golden watch stage of like, you know, you've been here that long. So just not the, um, yeah, not as rewarding at the end of that climb I find versus what you can get from doing your own thing. Yeah. But just um, on the the point that we started this tangent again, um, in defense of my parents and close friends, they told me I was crazy, but they supported me. Mm -hmm. Right. So I feel like, People totally. that are willing to do something like you have a vision, you have a goal, try to find that network 
of support, you know, like if it's just one person, that's going to make a difference. Yeah. Um, I didn't have so many people that were saying like, yeah, just go do it. I'm here for you. But the ones that I had just made the entire difference. San Francisco. We're going to miss this. We're going to miss this. These are sirens in the background. Moving to Vegas. Less sirens. At least where we're going to be staying. <laughs> yeah, at least where we live. Far enough away from those. Yeah. Um, uh, totally helps to have somebody in your corner, um, particularly as a solo founder. If you're not going to get a co-founder and you're going to be diving in head first, like you got to have that like parent or friend who's just down to get on the phone with you while you cry or like you know partner or whatever. You just need somebody to like vent to about what's going on. Um, it's super, super lonely in the beginning, and it's it's lonely even still as it goes on. That you really are the only one at the top top who gets to handle all the issues. But some advisors or, or something at that stage are really helpful. Um, but those early days when everyone else is telling you like you're doing what, like you're quitting your job, like no one can believe it. Like you gotta have somebody that's like, this is a fucking great idea. Like keep going, and I got your back, and you're doing something good. So, and you got to board pretty early, right? Yeah, yeah. I think like uh, it's really important as you start a company to always have your feelers out. When someone starts to like give a little bit of interest or like, you know, have that extra long coffee meeting one morning and like really interested in talking through what you're building or what you're doing or, you know, beneficial connections uh, for you and is kind of taking the step to introduce you to people like, You've got to have that in the back of your head of how to somewhat formalize that relationship because it was really helpful to get advisors in an early stage. And what do you think about a board, for, especially for what you're looking to do? We'll talk more about this kind of decision to turn into the consulting world, but is that something where you'd have advisors or do you see that as kind of like a free run? Hmm, that's a great question to which I didn't give enough time. But yeah. My response right now off the bat would be, yes, it does make sense, right? So every time you get someone completely new to the market trying to get in, mm -hmm. they need the two most important things, in my opinion, is one, you need to know that the people are going to buy right yourself, mm -hmm. right? And number two, you need to know how you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. And for number two, especially, having advisors is so valuable, right? Because mm -hmm. they've done that somehow. Like yeah. It could be directly related to your industry or a substitute or... Same know. function in a different industry. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I feel that just um, saves you a lot of hurdles, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can go by yourself and say you're a self-made person, self-made man, self-made woman, whatever. Um, I appreciate the person throw in there, though. You know who you're sitting with. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about the iron person soon. Yeah. <laughs> that threw me off. Hold on. <laughs> um, oh yeah, the, the board of advisors. Yeah. So I feel like you, you can definitely go out there and learn by yourself, but it's just like, are you gonna Google yeah. something first? That's exactly the same, yeah. right? But that knowledge. It's like is don't not, recreate the wheel. <laughs> exactly. That yeah. knowledge is not readily available uh -huh. on Google. Uh huh. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, for anyone trying to get in the food industry, doing it by yourself for the first time super hard. I learned everything from just asking. Never be afraid to go out and ask for some help because we didn't all know yeah. it when we got started. Definitely. Yeah. And there are so many layers to this, right? Like when you're starting and you mentioned like you're on the top of the top, you're making all the decisions for the company. You have to wear different hats at the time. Mm -hmm. And just as a project manager, you're not the expert in accounting or 
like legal issues mm-hmm. or marketing. You are good in marketing. Thank you. But you can't be the expert in everything, right? I try. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> God, I don't fit here. <laughs> um, anyway, what, what I was saying is, as you can't be the expert, it would be very wise of you to get people that are experts in that, or they're people that did the same thing as you and know a little bit more about that specific subject or know who to hire. You know, that the, all the things that you have to eventually think about. Totally. So you look back 30 years in to this thing called life. Yeah. Three All right. All right. What would you say is the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome in the 30 years? Wow. There's so many. Um, yeah, I feel like the peer pressure that I mentioned is is very hard. But I would say, like, take a step back. The mental blocks are, are the hardest, right? Because when you grow up, you're just so used to like having other people's opinion form your own opinion as well. Mm-hmm. Right? And then as you mature, you learn how to form your own opinions yeah. based on facts and evidence and etc. But when you have your vision, as I said, like you have the tip of the iceberg there, but you know exactly what's underneath mm-hmm. like as the foundation of that, and other people don't, they're gonna just throw sand on your idea like crazy. Mm-hmm. And just because I mean most of them just worry about you and they're fearful mm-hmm. that you might hit your head hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like overcoming that and really grounding your vision yeah. and goal and going after that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And um, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Awesome. Okay, still good. Phew! What's up? Oh, the screensaver came up and I was like, oh lord. Um, cool. I feel like I'm still talking about the, the bears as well. Like when I was a young adult or a teenager, I also had like a, a very bad relationship with alcohol. And I feel like overcoming that made me have the clear view of what I really wanted. Right? Like when I was in college, I used to think like just blackout Heard most that. of the time. Yeah. And uh, I really didn't have the time slash wanted to dive into myself and really mm-hmm. understand like, who am I? What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. What do I want to do with my life? And uh, I feel like the fact that I was drinking was the cause and also the consequence, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I was drinking because I didn't know who I was, but also I was drinking because I couldn't find who I was. And, then and the, you couldn't find who you were because you were drinking. <laughs> and so you just wake up with a hangover. Yeah, I was drinking. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm so happy you brought that up. Um, I obviously am a huge proponent of like what can come from just, uh, for you, reducing alcohol consumption, which is like virtually none these days, uh, but getting out of that kind of cycle of, you know, um, over drinking and how much it just like blankets the excitement of your life, you know, it just yeah. kind of dulls everything. Like people think like, uh, you know, going out and getting drunk is going to solve some problem, but it's just continuing to like bubble the problem you have and you never really deal with anything or really look at like what drives you or what motivates you. Like when I was still drinking lines up right until, um, you know, kind of around the point where the entrepreneurial stuff started happening. When I got sober, I was like, Oh, like I love to bake and I love, and it was like, what are the things that make me me? Like what makes me feel really excited about life again? 
And you just can't find that when you're waiting until 5 p.m. to like go meet your friends for happy hour or drinking all night on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. What do we do on Friday night? Uh, we went to bed at like six. Yeah, right? Something crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like a cup of tea and, you know, go to bed. It's not the same as, you know, back yeah. in the day where you couldn't wait to rage. It's like extra, extra clarity. But it's great. We have so many hours because of that because we don't wake up at noon the other day completely the next day, hungover yeah. and not yeah. function. Like we're ready to go at 6 a.m. again. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like I like waking up at 6 a.m. I said it. I said it. I like waking up at 6 a.m. Calling me out <laughs> Sometimes at 5. Like, we're crazy. Thank God for daylight savings time. I was up at 4. <laughs> I was like, let's do this. Oh, yeah. It's just a lot more excitement for life um, when there's not kind of a little like, blurring haze. So, uh, why aren't you drinking these days? What insane feat of the physical body have you, <laughs> physical and mental, uh, have you signed me up for? Um, okay. Wait, let me break that down into two. Yes, for the <laughs> next part, but let me break that down into two. I'm not drinking so much these days. One, because I don't want to, right? But the, the very past, I still have it very fresh in my mind, and I don't want to go back there just because I'm here and I have an amazing life, and I want to continue with that amazing life. And I just feel Plus, like, I wouldn't let you into bed if you smelled like booze. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and I feel like doing that would just bring me to past days, and I don't want to go there. Yeah. Um, but second part, now, you want to be a little bit more excited? Was... We're going to do the Iron Man! <laughs> Woo! All right. All right. Yeah. We are so going to run the Iron Man 70.3. What brought it to your mind and yeah. made you feel so passionate about doing it? It's so funny. Like, this uh, comes from a very, very early memory of mine. I remember my aunt, my, my dad's sister, bought an Iron Man watch back in the day when I was like, I don't know, six, seven, really? like the, the old school watch, the yeah. digital watch, it was just so flashy and shiny, like it was just like a green black light, but that was yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, um, um, everything's more exciting but, when Yeah, but like I saw the symbol and I was like, wait, what is this? What is this little guy here? And, and she was like, oh, this is Iron Man, like this is a triathlon, super mm-hmm. hard, like only the best athletes of the world right. can do it. And um I was just like, oh my god, this must be so amazing. Like, if I am able to accomplish this one day, I'm going to be so proud of myself. And then that was just the little seed, right? Yeah. Then uh, last year, one of my friends, my good friends, um, came here to America. She got married to an American guy. And we, uh, yeah. Hi. Yeah. And, what up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> and he is super into it, and eventually she got into it. They're doing it together. And then she told me one day, like, oh, my God, you would love this. And then that seed connected to this. And I'm like, oh, my God, I live here. I, I got to do I, it. I got to do it. Like, <laughs> this is the time. Yeah. And that connects to, like, everything that, that um, started happening in my life after I stopped drinking so much. Like, I just, like, high performance everything. And yeah. this is. What do you think drove that in you? Like, you have such a mindset of, like, as soon as a cool idea has crossed your mind, you're just like. Of course I'm doing it. And there are people that sit on idea. We're very much the same. So I, we bought a house in like 10 days, like deciding no. on it. <laughs> it was um, 13. Yeah, like decision making is just really rapid. What would you say like influenced that for you and makes you just do uh, and not think so long? I don't know. I think I have a, a very strong sense of urgency. Right? I feel like life is just... 
so delicate and it's just happening and we're here and we have to make the most with the time that we have, right? Um, I feel like now that I'm 30, it's just like so many people die so early. Like I had a brother who died like four, four or five months after he was born. So this is just like the wake up call for me saying like, yo, you got another day. What are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like so many people just take time for granted and health for granted, right? Thank God I have time and health. Yeah. And so many people don't. Yeah. That's from an early age then. You were just like mm -hmm. a little kid when yeah. that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Puts things into perspective like constantly for you. Absolutely. Like yeah. I feel like one of, not one of, the only certainty that we have right now is that eventually we're going to die. And I saw that firsthand quite closely to me so yeah. just having that example so close to you just brings it down to so much reality yeah that it's hard for you not to do anything about it right so I just grew up thinking about that and then trying to apply that to my own life and make sure that I was using the time that I was given you know arguably you said the only thing certain is death i used to have this econ teacher that said the only thing certain is death and taxes so maybe we can get you to <laughs> open up the two <laughs> can you add one more to that that's Would you be true willing? Yeah. but nevada doesn't have income taxes so, so like, true like, i mean federal it depends on where you are uncle right? sam's well, after Cayman us Island <laughs> doesn't have federal tax you going there we might Who knows? <laughs> beach vacation <laughs> <laughs> okay um, death and taxes i'll get that so I guess a couple of things like uh, talking about where you are in the journey now. So I think we chatted about product school. Um, you and I got married, which is awesome. But now you're in this process to get a green card. And really, this should be an entire episode itself for everyone who doesn't <laughs> understand how freaking hard it is for people to be in this country legally. It's insane. Um, I thought that you just submitted your name. You walked up and you like popped it in a box and said like, I'd love to be here. Yeah. It will be so fun. I have these skills. I'm from this city. Here's the address to send the green card. And then you just get it back. For the record, that would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been <laughs> awesome. Just come here, put your name on this list. I mean, then. really, little did I know, like a 300 page document later, we've submitted for it, but you're in kind of a weird space. So um, talk, you know, about kind of this process and where you're at now um, sure. and where you're headed. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I came here to study at Berkeley. So I came on a student visa and that visa gave me an employment authorization for a year. Right. That's called the OBT for the ones who love letters. Literally this whole explanation. I'm going to like pop up. <laughs> like little, You're going to have so many like visa names and this and that. We'll do them as like speech bubbles around this. All right. So I was on an F1 visa and I worked under OPT, which is Optional Practical Training. Now that could have been extended had I done a degree in STEM, which is Science, Technology, and Engineering major or something like that. Yeah, um, but I did a Business and Marketing degree, which did not give me the extension. So I did have just one year to work. Mm -hmm. Now for the process of the green card through marriage, you have to file it and you have to wait. You have to sit and wait for a while. Now in the past, this process would take about three or four months, which was reasonable. For the entire process. For the entire process, yeah. yeah. Once you have the green card in hand, then you can travel and work wherever mm -hmm. you want. Um, however, this process is taking 12 months 
uh, plus, plus uh-huh. right now. So what the government is doing is issuing employment authorization documents and advance parole, which is the travel authorization. And those documents are taking three to five months, depending on the location they reply. Yeah. Now, currently, I'm at the process of waiting the employment authorization and advance yeah. parole. So just to break this down for everyone, you are literally applying legally to be here after having been here legally. You've married someone who's from this country and you have three to seven months to wait without being able to work. Yeah, that's the bottom line. That's Like, yeah. without being able to work. Like, it makes no sense. Like, welcome in. Please don't contribute to society for three <laughs> to seven months and then we'll figure out what we want to do with you. So, um, I mean, you, that's currently how our system is working. What so. I have to say is your country is losing my taxes. So yeah, that it's crazy. does not apply. Taxes are not... Yeah, there you go. Certainty. You've escaped them for it's a little happening. bit. <laughs> yeah, pretty wild. So you've got a few months without being able to work yet and take yeah. money in. So we're playing a bunch of video games. You're sleeping in late. Oh my God. You're, <laughs> you're off wish. to the mall every day. You're laying at Dolores Park. Um, I don't even wish that. This is, yeah. I can't. Like, no, it's not, not you. Can't. So what are you doing with your time while you wait? I'm training for an Ironman. That's the, that is true. It takes up a little bit. Um, but also one thing that I can do is to set up my company. Right, I cannot generate revenue, but I can have everything ready for whenever I can. So your company. So you finally got an idea of what you might want to do in these entrepreneurial Precisely. zones. Yeah. Okay. So tying up with my project management passion and my education passion, um, what I'm going to do right now is project management applied to construction companies here. Uh, just because I'm seeing so many small companies here that don't have the project management processes in place yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, if like you think, a professionalization step they haven't yeah, got to yet. Precisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about the distribution of companies here mm-hmm. versus Brazil, I think that also uh, talks closely to the demographics of each city, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm born and raised. I was born and raised in a city with 20 million people, and it's like pretty small. You know most of your neighbors, right? <laughs> we went to the same grocery shop. Just bar. for like a counter, there. My parents live in Placerville, which has like 10,000 people. <laughs> A little different, but okay, so what'd you do with 20 million people? But um, yeah, as I was saying, like you have so many people concentrated in one region Mm -hmm. and then all other regions are just so underdeveloped and Mm -hmm. not at all have people there. Yeah. Whereas here you have like San Francisco, which has less than a million um, people living and you have so many small cities around, right? What essentially this makes is that you have a lot of small construction companies in these um, little cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you compare that to where I grew up, I was working in a major German firm because the city is so big. So I know a lot of processes that these small firms don't have the time or the money to apply. Time or knowledge of. Or knowledge of. um, And I can help them with that. So that's the first step. For the future, as I said, like education, underserved areas in Brazil, what I want to do is apply project management to life goals uh, and to a general perspective of life as well. Because I think, as I said, time is ticking and we need to make the most out of it. Yeah. So I do want to help my country in like achieving stuff and getting stuff done and moving forward. Awesome. So you mean helping people from Brazil going after their mm-hmm. dreams and goals? Yeah. Okay. Eventually, I want to fund or form an education firm in Brazil focused on project management applied cool. to personal goals. Awesome. 
So you're talking a lot about goal setting and you know what people want to achieve with their time. Like, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're setting goals? Hmm. Can I say two, or do I have to narrow wow. it down to one? Always an overachiever. Always one's not good enough. Let's hear it. Okay. So one of them is setting a goal that's too big for the time frame. Right, so say like mm-hmm. you want to go to the moon. Yeah, tomorrow. And, and, uh, exactly. <laughs> I got twenty four hours. No, uh-huh. I mean it depends on obviously the amount of money that you have. You might be able to go to NASA and buy a rocket ship yeah, yourself. Like unless you're Elon Musk. But exactly, in like realistic terms, it's probably not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the number two would be not being specific enough, right? So when you're setting a goal, you have to be specific. So then you can accomplish it, right? Mm-hmm. So say, for example, you want to lose weight, right? And mm-hmm. you go in your little notebook and you say, oh, I want to lose weight. Cool. You lost one pound next week. You accomplish your goal, right? Wait, but you're looking at a mirror and you're not happy with that. So you have to be specific and say like, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds in three weeks. Okay, so that's achievable and specific. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is like 90% of the goal yeah. mistakes that I see. And it's also making it actionable. Like I'm thinking about what you're mm. saying with like lose weight. It's like there are so many things that have to happen in order for that like yeah. to come true. So how do you break it down into more like, you know, is it having dessert only three times this week instead of seven? You know, like mm-hmm. it, the little things to break it down. I think uh, like goal failures happen so often from people um, setting these like lofty things and then when you mess up once you're just like oh I give up or you like you know you don't get all the progress you set yeah. and you're like I'm over it so yeah how do you help people kind of like break it down <laughs> yeah um, I feel like when you set a goal you either know a little bit about what you're doing or you have to ask someone right so for example on the lose weight mm-hmm. Topic, as you mentioned, there's a lot of layers of stuff that you need to do, right? Mm-hmm. You need to reduce exactly. Like yeah. you, need, you need to work on your um, nutrition, and you need to work on your fitness mm-hmm. and, and some stuff else. But these two are the major drivers, yeah. right? So if you don't know anything about it, what are you going to do? Like mm-hmm. you just want to lose weight, but you need to either research or you need to know someone who can help you for free, or you can hire someone. Mm-hmm. But you cannot just be. Um, strategic and say like oh I just want to lose weight and not do anything at all yeah now one thing that you said that's really important is okay like today I slipped and I ate a cake a yeah. full cake or like cookie dough okay like you had like eight Dude, it's, of cookie dough. <laughs> it's fine like if we're yeah. all human you know mm-hmm. um, most people just put that goal and say like oh my god I'm gonna I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it mm-hmm. And then Sunday comes, and then they have that lasagna, and then they eat it, and on Monday they're just beating themselves up. It's yeah. just like, okay, you're human. Just put yourself back together, put yourself on track, yeah. and you're going to go. I think it's kind of the illusion we have of like what other people's lives must be like, that they look at you know you in great physical shape, whatever, and they're like, oh, he must <laughs> eat like you know like a salad for every meal or something or like he must you know they didn't see our lunch today yeah right um, whole pizza <laughs> is it gone. now that you've got a picture of the, the yeah pizza, <laughs> pizza icon. um yeah but just like i think there's yeah this illusion that like everyone's diet is perfect if they're in good shape and it's like eh, no it's like just a balance that if we 
ate a little bit on yeah. one side, one one meal, like the next one kind of makes up for it. And yeah, just trying to find yeah. some flavor. And, and I mean, there. obviously, if you're training for an Ironman, you can't just eat salad. It's just as simple as it gets. True. No Not trying to pass out. <laughs> exactly. You can't do that. Um, but also, this uh, is a good segue for the social media subject, right? There's a lot of people that mm-hmm. just show the good side of them. Yeah. And they don't show how much self-discipline and how many meals they can't have because they want to have that physique. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, social media is a sensitive subject for me. <laughs> I feel like um, it went through so many phases in our life. Like when it first came out. It was sort of everyone's diary. Like people were sharing actually the opposite end, like all of the like emotional, like real shit that was going on in their life. Facebook early days. Yeah, like your wall was like your diary, and you really <laughs> only had your friends on there who were like, "Oh my god, that's going on!" Yeah. Like I want to like let's get coffee next week or something, and then all of a sudden it was like you know, we're 30 and you've got friends from high school who like, you don't really need to share like all of those details. So it sort of went through this like refinement of filtering and editing and cropping and cutting parts of your life out that you didn't think would look so flashy. And so we're all staring at like different versions of each other that, you know, have no backing. It's like a movie set. There's really no house behind it. And um, I think it's really misleading for people that especially our growing up on there like my god you know you look at tiktok and all these things coming out for kids <laughs> and it's like they're just scrolling through thousands of like not real pictures of people's yeah. lives yeah yeah mostly just staged yeah just like portions of it so there's really uh you need to have your own filter when going through social media and recognizing like what's real and what's not um and just not holding yourself to such like harsh standards yeah um, that's how I feel about that. I want to ask on efficiency and all that, you know, what do you say to somebody who says there's just not enough time in the day? Oh. <laughs> like what's the, it's a common complaint, right? Like, yeah, oh, I would totally. work out, but there's not enough time. Oh man, it, it's just a, it's a difficult topic, right? I mean, if you have three kids and you have to work two jobs, I can tell you, like, oh, yeah, there it is. Like, it's just a matter of priority. No, it's like your priority is survival and your kids. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to touch that. I appreciate that. Now, yeah. like, if, if you have, like, you work on a 9 to 5, you don't work on weekends, like, you go out with your friends, like, twice a week, hell, yeah, there is time and you mm-hmm. can shift your priorities, right? Now, I read a post of one of my friends today that really resonated with what I understand fitness as, right? So... She said, exercising is just like a shower, right? You take it every day, right? It, eh. it takes... Like, I would say most days. <laughs> I can't guarantee. Okay. All right, sorry. <laughs> Hopefully Didn't you Didn't mean to that. ruin your... Uh... <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it's... Yeah, you <clears throat> mostly take a shower every day. Exactly, and sometimes you take two, and sometimes you take none, but it, there has to have something happen for you not to take a shower in the morning, mm-hmm. right? So exercise is just the same. Like you, you need to drag yourself to the gym and do at least like 15, 20 minutes and just keep going and gain that positive momentum. Yeah. And then that thing eventually is going to turn into a routine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like one of the books that most changed my life was The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, I think. Um, and that resonated so much with mm-hmm. me, right? I feel, I think like the, um, the high performance and the effectiveness 
all of that can only happen when you have a system in place, yeah. right? You have a goal, you have a planning for that, and then you start executing. If you don't, there's no high performance. There's just like peaks and troughs and that's it. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about um, fitness, when I first began, I was super skinny. Like my goal was to bulk up and be like, oh, oh all these bodybuilders, yeah. I don't want to be like them. It's funny, like guys and girls have such opposite problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how will I gain weight? Yeah, and I was 17, yeah. and I had this vision, and it was driven by the, the wrong reasons, I think, but it led me to where I am today. Like, mm-hmm. I just work out today because it's so ingrained in my habits, and I know that's going to help me throughout the day to be more focused, yeah. and my body's healthier, so I have more sustainability over time. Mm-hmm. Not green sustainability, but my body mm-hmm. will be more sustainable over time. Yeah. Um, like better use of your energy throughout the day. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just this positive cycle. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like there are people that cannot shift their priorities whatsoever. Um, yeah. Still, these people can do like five or ten minutes a day, just a little bit. But yeah. the people that have like a comfortable life, definitely, it's just a shift of priority. Yeah. It's like a mindset. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to fall into this trap that like, oh, there's just not enough time and I'm exhausted all the time. Like I actually felt more tired with life. When I was like, you know, just drinking and, you know, coming back from work and uh, I'd just be like, oh, I have no energy. I just need to, like, I would just want to sit on the couch and like throw my feet up. Like if I didn't work out in the morning, there was no way I would in the the evening. But um, yeah, if you can fit the workout in, you actually feel more energized when it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. At the beginning, it's super hard. Right, you you feel super bogged down, and your body yeah. wants to basically die because you're not eating properly and you're not sleeping properly. It's just this snowball. Yeah. But then once it becomes a habit, then you see the good effects. Yeah. Of it's a new addiction or totally. something. Endorphins. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, well, if anyone is feeling remotely inspired by you and what you've done with your life, um, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can get in touch with me via Instagram. Um, Always can, good. Can do IG famous. IG, I'll put in yeah. followers. Do <laughs> I don't care about numbers. Yeah. Um, just but no lie, when we went on our first date, and then I found out that you had a bunch of Instagram followers, I was a little, a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> this is new information. I didn't know about this. Yeah, well, I was just like, why? And like, what happened in your life to like do this? Because yeah. um, well, Amy was working in a co working office, cute guy, but I didn't get like what yeah. had happened. But fun, uh, you want to share? Past modeling fun career story. got me a little. Yeah, well, I mean, I was the, the face of a supermarket, big, the biggest retail. Uh, supermarket chain in Brazil used my face to showcase their new app so in, cute. <clears throat> in 2017. So right before I came here, I did a, a quick modeling career, yeah. and I was showcased in every single state in Brazil. That's why. Crazy. That's why people started following me. That's awesome. Well, but, yeah, you can follow him on Instagram. Um, check out his soon-to-come website. We'll throw that link out there. All the stuff. Yeah, um, I hope this speech or any part of my history has inspired anyone and I'm open to share anything hit me up uh, hit Kelsey up she lives with me so she'll <laughs> deliver the message awesome. and I hope it can help you guys thanks Thank thanks you. for joining me Thank thanks everybody my pleasure have a dope day whoa thanks for listening to that whole podcast you rock 
All right, we hope you're leaving here today with even a smidge more inspiration than when you showed up. If you did, my job is done here. Subscribe to our podcast, follow us at Eat Dope, and if you're craving some cookie dough, and I mean, when are you not, order at dope.com. It's D-O-U-G-H-P.com, and use code SOBERPODCAST for 10% off. Have a dope day.